0: Should have got me and my brother in here, head to head, studio audience, and then had a vote at the end on which one, <laughs> which one won the uh, the most show Ballon d'Or. That's brilliant,
1: Ballon d'Or. Loving the football lingo. E- everything's football <laughs> with me, I'm afraid. Don't amazing, amazing. It's it's a sport I I grew up playing all my life. Played. Stoke's not huge. It's not. It's not. But the the school I was at over here was. Applewick was rugby, Stowe was yeah, rugby, yeah. so that's maybe where my interest dipped, and then I a went. Bit of
0: rowing, Stowe had rowing. No, no, no
1: not that I know. Of. They, they had they had crew, but it wasn't as big as like some of the biggest yeah. bigger schools in that area. When I went to the states, New Hampshire, that's where they take football seriously. What as a soccer? As a soccer, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like they had. First of all, like in rugby, we'd have one coach on the football team in New Hampshire. We had four coaches wow on the on the varsity as they say yeah, yeah and they just take it so seriously before school starts we'd have to show up two weeks before the beginning of the semester for training camp wow I just stay in yeah, mid-august you're yeah, in school yeah. for training camp if you are selected for the varsity yeah, team yeah. and i think if i really focused i would have who knows but but i, I my aspirations were a club level in saudi yeah, yeah football. that's if you can barely see me that's me in new hampshire yeah, yeah. all-star team like i love playing gold it was my position like it used to i used to be obsessed with yeah. with uh, football and, and even they did so drag
0: football. you into hockey i well, we thought that was no but there. it was a big hockey school yeah it was actually a hockey school yeah because my dad was at yale so we sort of got and i think tim was out there for a while mm.
1: um he really has a following in the region and um and i think it's it's delivering the message in a way that you are able to accept and understand is what pulls people to his delivery method, which is, which is,
0: I think. He's a poet. If you hear him speak, and he's always had this ability, this extraordinary, I mean the English language is incredibly rich, you know, the the language of Shakespeare, and Tim's just grasp of it has always been beautiful. I very rarely speak about Tim, so this is, you know, it's a privilege to come on your podcast and, and talk about him and my love and my regard for my brother. But uh, sense of humor, honestly 100 percent is i understand the sort of reverence towards tim but as a brother growing up brilliant sense of humor in that very english way wordplay punning irony dry yeah very dry i mean we went to a a school at westminster where you were basically judged on humor and academic achievement but very much humor so yeah whenever i hear people tim sort of talk about tim in, in in the public sphere as this you know, august Cambridge academic and imam are thinking well, he's got a brilliant sense of humor as well. I think that when, do you remember that song Happy that came out, Pharrell? Pharrell, there was a, a really fun um, version by a group of, uh, not Islamic scholars, but anyway, by by Muslims, and they almost played on Tim's sort of slightly dry personality because you had everyone dancing around doing the happy bit. And then you had my brother looking like a classic Cambridge don with his tweed jacket and, um, you know, his sort of, his, his nice shirt and his smart trousers. And then he just had this sign which he turned over, like like love actually, uh, it turned over and it just had happy on it. And that was sort of Tim slightly playing against this. So absolutely he's got a sense of humour
1: um well we uh before i even introduced uh my guest today we were talking about his brother who i had on the show as the third best per, uh, third best performing episode no pressure on me no man. pressure no 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 pressure on you <laughs> at all at all never um and and it's actually it's nice to hear you know what sheikh Karim murad or tim as as henry refers to him what he was like you know, the, the, the person who we don't know today, we know him as, as the sheikh, the scholar. And it's always nice to hear a bit of banter from a younger brother. Yeah. From a younger brother. So that that was what that little uh, conversation uh, uh, was about. Thanks for coming on the show on no, such pleasure. short notice. No, thanks for inviting me. You know, we're very lucky um, these days in Saudi because all these crazy events are happening. And, you know, whenever I'm in a position where I'm fortunate enough to, to grab someone for an hour or two... Um, Something like this would not have been an option 10 years ago because we never we never hosted the FIFA Club World Cup, which is mm-hmm. what you're here for. Uh, so uh, thank you again for taking some time out of your day. I'm not sure how long you're going to be here for, but I know you have something in an hour and a half. So try to get as much as we can sure. from you in the next I'm hour.
0: quite shallow. I'm not as deep as my brother. I can... Famous last words. Yeah. Um, Give me a go. You've been in Jeddah now for five days, four days? No, uh, 48 hours because I went to Anfield on Sunday for the big match. So uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, and then I drove south and got on a plane the next day to Heathrow. And Sorry, at Heathrow. I think, did that end zero zero. The Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were both lucky to get zero. It was an absolute. It was a terrible game. I mean, it was. I mean, it was quite inspiring if you were interested in absolute dogged guard defending by Manchester United, who' whose coach is under pressure, whose players were being criticised, biggest club probably after Real Madrid and the world, huge scrutiny on them. If they lose a corner, the country just sort of stops and debates it, let alone lose a match. So they had to draw that, particularly against their rivals. It was, you know, Liverpool had been playing well. So, yeah, that was big, even though it was nil-nil. I mean, I wrote, what, 1,100 words for the first edition, which goes within five seconds of the final whistle, and then the same for the the, the second. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's always a lot to write about with Manchester United, even with an absolute horror of a game. Mm
1: I want to get into them in a second um for those just you know tuning in trying to figure out who or what henry mr henry winter does he's a he's a chief football he is the chief football writer at the times um and 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 football is what he lives and breathes uh, as i did for many years so i'm really confident this conversation is gonna be a an insightful one um so i'm a chelsea fan uh, before the pif's acquisition of newcastle
0: this is turning into a confessional it, it is yeah and i chelsea fans at the moment God. wherever i meet them they come up to me and say what is happening although you had a decent result last night <clears throat> are you a pochettino we, fan we did i never no i, I i'm not why it's because of tottenham because of tottenham and since ancelotti i
1: i didn't outside of jose Mourinho, since ancelotti i don't think we ever got someone on the level of ancelotti's coaching abilities yeah
0: an emotional connection and also Carlo Ancelotti is one of the world's great men, as well as he, he, he comes up with this great line, which is, football is the most important of the least important things. <laughs> and I think it's a very, I mean, even though my life revolves around football, I do effectively agree with that. It's, it's a great quote from him. And it is, and this is a man who's won the Champions League as a player and as a coach and he's just one of the greatest of all times, but one of the most humble men you could ever meet. Ancelotti. Ancelotti. Oh, Ancelotti is just wonderful. I remember when he was uh, well, when he was Chelsea coach and he wrote his life story and all the funds were to go to an old AC Milan, sorry, the family of an old AC Milan teammate of his who passed away suddenly from Lou Gehrig's disease. It was uh, absolutely terrible. He left a wife and four kids. And Ancelotti, being Ancelotti, being one of the world's most generous men, wrote his life story with all the proceeds to go to the kids and uh, he invited me down to Chelsea's training ground at Cobham and I went in and uh, there's the sort of steps which leads up to the sort of the corridor of power which is where the physios and the sports scientists and the the lawyers, always important with clubs, and Ancelotti's lair was. And uh, I got to the top of the stairs and Ancelotti was uh, leaning outside of his door like a bit like a naughty schoolboy in an English boarding school looking to see if there were any masters wandering around to check whether people were up late at night. And he said, can you see him? I said, what do you mean, can I see who? The doctor, is he, can you see the doctor? I said, no, no, his daughter is, his door's closed. And he said, oh fine, because I wanted a quick smoke. (laughs) And that was typical Ancelotti. And you go into his office and he is just, he's, if ever you bump into him anywhere in the world, he will give you, he said, oh, you must go to this restaurant. If we're in Madrid or, I imagine he'll be in Rio soon if he becomes Brazil manager, it would be fantastic because he'll be recommending restaurants. I love that approach to life in people. I'm sure you've met people like that who have life in perspective. He's passionate about football. You know, he's worked with the, the greats, but he's got this humility to drive them on. But also he enjoys life as well. So I, I love that about him. He cuts off as a, as a bit of the intimidating guy a little bit. Ancelotti, I wouldn't want to cross him. I mean, his idea of intimidation is to raise an eyebrow. Okay. that yeah there's a sort of slight bond villain there you know if he raises an eyebrow and if he raises two eyebrows <laughs> you, you know to start running but i just think that he i don't think he intimidates i think he inspires and he educates and he leads through the respect of his personality because he has even though he's achieved what he's done all these multiple champions league and i think it's a great lesson in generally in life that often you find the people at the very top and i've been fortunate to interview so many great footballers the ones at the top, the ones I found at the top, tend to actually have the most grace, the most humanity, mm-hmm. the most humility. Pele was a classic example. I've interviewed Pele two or three times for South. They have to talk about him in the past tense, although his legacy will always be with us. And Pele had this grace. And I know, you know, you want to talk a little bit about Tim, my brother, but I would say Tim's got that as well. And I think that's why, even though I'm blood kith and kin i can step back and see his greatness in terms of what he does but also i can vouch for the grace that he has the soul that he has and i think the great people have that truly before we get to tim
1: i wanted to ask you one more thing about ancelotti you said he's going to you're allowed to call him
0: tim i'm allowed to call him my
1: tim okay yeah i mean that's um
0: really whoa. because I, I i talk to um <laughs> i talk to muslim friends and i talk to taxi drivers out here in qatar and they insist on giving his yeah. full name yeah. and my brother's name is so long now the taxi drive is almost finished by the time he's he gets to the moran so um, i i no, apologize to, to, no. to sheikh Karim murad and i blame you for that <laughs> it's, rubbing, <laughs> it's rubbing off on me this is what journalists <laughs> do we drag <laughs> you down to <laughs> our level <laughs> I love how honest you are, um,
1: <clears throat>
0: but I saw I see Tim the human being. Yes, and I think that's his greatness because I think you know you, you, I talk to people and he's given them good advice. Yeah. You know, he's um, he's a, yeah, he's a he's a he's a good man as well as being brilliant in his field. Yeah, when
1: and feel free to say not of your business, but when when he started to veer towards Islam. Um, how did it make you feel? Were you ever like, mm, do you really
0: want to do proud? This Absolutely. I mean, we had a very famous headmaster at our school at Westminster who said that any child who lives in English, you know, you went to an English public school, anyone who leaves an English public school with a working religion, that is whatever religion, I think that is that is great. That's something to be proud of. And, I mean we grew up. I mean, I was a choir boy in Westminster Abbey for for three years, Anglican background. I was confirmed. And I don't know what the equivalent in, in Islam is, but I was confirmed in Western Islam. But I think what we do and the world I work in is you have to take a step back and actually look and with religion, say religion has to be about humanity. It has to be about compassion, as in all elements of life. And I think when extremism comes in, extremism in whatever form, in whatever religion, then obviously that's when the alarm bells ring. But I think you know I have I gave a talk in a in a synagogue three weeks ago in London, and it you know it was it was a very powerful event because of what's been happening out there. But you you have to understand and appreciate and respect. So coming back to your question, with I don't think there was any issue in the family of um, certainly not from my perspective. I don't think from my my sister's perspective or my parents' perspective because as a family, we were all encouraged, just pursue your passion. Mine was football, my sister's an outstanding artist. My sister's actually the most talented of the three of us. Wow, that's uh, saying something. No, well, no, actually, absolutely she is. I'm very much third on the, the pecking order. Um, but so with Tim, the fact that he had this passion, he went to Cambridge, I think, to do geography, and then he, he changed, I think, to Arabic studies. So, I think what my parents wanted for us, my, my father was a well-known architect, my mother was a quite well-known designer. I think what they wanted us, a, you know, be happy, be healthy, and also just to achieve as much as we could. And I think I mean there, you know there were one or two times when my brother would have a book out, and my parents would just be so proud. Um, about you know Tim would have a book and they would say the museum in Cambridge and the library in Cambridge has taken it the library in Yale has taken it the library in Harvard has Boston University all these great libraries have taken a first edition of uh, of Tim's book and I'd go well how many is it how how many copies are there and they will go about two thousand I said have you seen the Sunday Times bestseller list? I'm top of that. I've been selling that, and they would go, "No, no, no!" But 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 Tim's is a serious book, so I would I would have to do that, and I would go, "Well, I can't compete with him." Although my numbers were more, um, so there was that sort of rivalry, but also that huge respect that what Tim was going not going into, but what became his passion. You know, he, he absolutely loved, and also the one thing you have to understand with my brother, the intellectual rigor with which he looks at anything in life, with which he looks at, you know, whether it's, the, whether it's his reading of the Quran, whether it's his reading of political, religious situations. He has just this amazing forensic mind, but also he has this compassion, this humanity, just which gives, I think, the perfect balance. And I think occasionally, and I, I hope I'm not wrong on this, but when one or two Arab leaders have come over to the UK, I think Tim is occasionally called upon because of the respect that he is held. I mean, I mean, it's not as simple as that, but respect is held in the West and in the, you know, in the Middle East, um, and you know that makes me proud. Whenever I think of my brother, I'm always, I always feel proud. Yeah.
1: And and uh, as as you should, and then it's just staggering. It shouldn't be staggering or shocking that you guys sound so identical really um it's it's i mean the only thing difference is the facial hair and the seating posture he sat back the whole time yeah even like this since we started yeah um, but it's amazing how brothers can be you know so similar at the same time so different in their interest uh body language <laughs> and um but 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 i'm sure like when you guys are together and you connect like y- you don't you don't see much differences there's more similarities than
0: differences yeah I mean, we don't connect i mean we don't suspend a lot of time together because Tim's incredibly busy. I mean, he's he's he has his students, and another thing that makes me proud. I was in Istanbul recently for the Champions League mm. final, and in the build-up to that, one of uh, Tim's former students uh, contacted me, and she was involved in the Red Crescent, which was dealing with the horrendous scenes from the earthquake, mm. and she was wanting some connections with uh, Premier League football and with UEFA, who obviously organising the Champions League final. It's actually fitting that we're we're here in. Um, in um, to to watch the, uh, effectively the culmination of the Champions League final, which is the the Club World Cup here in Jeddah. Um, and yeah, that sort of, and to have that sort of connection and to, I never met her, but we, we swapped a lot of messages and I sort of helped put her in the right direction of some people at UEFA and the Premier League. And, you know, just to one of the finest ones she's very young sort of mid-twenties but an amazing mind and an amazing personality and soul and and I just think well it makes me even more proud of my brother that he was instrumental in helping develop in a way these beautiful blossoms uh, into life he is like a master gardener mm-hmm. and we're very good at gardening in England because <laughs> of the rain um, but he's yeah that again that makes me proud so even though we you know we're, we're not sort of talking you know every day um he is yeah he's a, he, I find him a very inspiring character just to think about even if i'm not in his presence it's it's refreshing
1: because tolerance is not something that is so evident in the world we live in today
0: i agree we're quite an angry country um not just thinking, an angry world no i no i think it's no, I think it's across the world, whether that's a post-COVID thing, whether that's an economic thing, whether that's a, a rise in extremism in certain areas. I mean, my my world is writing in a way about mm-hmm. the positives of life. I mean, the, the, the sports department of any media organization is known slightly patronizingly by the, the news department as as the toy department, but it's about man's and woman's uh, um achievements the successes the bonding the unity i mean i've been to what nine world yeah nine world cups now yeah and to see the i mean yeah saudi i mean, like remember i covered saudi arabia in 94 oh, in was washington off. with saeed al yeah. and i i remember the, the uh I, at was, the I was at, yeah, i was at the match i was a ridiculously hot day in washington i remember the uh The office said, well, it's Saudi Arabia against Belgium. It won't necessarily be too big for uh, an English market. And it's a quite well-known Belgian team. He said, well, yeah, if anything happens, I ran said, I've just seen one of the greatest goals of all time. And unfortunately, because I've seen two of the greatest... Three goals in in FIFA in World Cup history. I didn't see Maradona's second against England. We won't talk about the first. The handball with okay, towards the end of the. We'll we'll we'll, we'll get we'll get, out, we'll get over that in about forty years. That the hand of God. <laughs> and of God. Um, So when
1: you said you saw one of the best goals in the England in in the Belgium so match,
0: yeah. So Said Alaweran yeah, when he dribbled from the halfway sure.
1: line. But when you said I just saw that one of the best goals in the Belgium match, people on the other side probably thought that you were talking about Belgium
0: scoring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and it was just this extraordinary. Game. And then I obviously saw Michael. Awerin Goal against Argentina Ooh, in '98, which was which was which was fantastic, but yeah, this so yeah, so the interest in yeah, we in had a Saudi good team football. in
1: '94. By the way, every yeah. team since is compared against that one. Yeah, many would say, I mean, our, our performance against Argentina, at least in the second half in the last World Cup, yeah, that was a moment of magic. But the '94 team to lose to Holland yeah. 2-1.
0: By the way, your fans were brilliant in Qatar. They were. They were fantastic. I mean, it was, it was a good World Cup. It was a different World Cup. It was a World Cup without police and alcohol, so can which, I, is, can I which ask, is new to me.
1: Which, which is new and, and maybe refreshing, but you know how we, we spoke about, um, uh, briefly we spoke about like uh, tolerance and how important yeah, sure. it is. H- yeah. How come there wasn't any uh, leading up to the Qatar World Cup by way of the BBC choosing not to cover the opening? It's Like, that was a bit... Uh, a yeah,
0: bit... but you have to... Uh, Again, this is about understanding and about tolerance. So, uh, absolutely, it should be about tolerance. And in a way, World Cups and tournaments are about people getting together away from the politicians, politicians of both sides. So, as uh, an Englishman who believes in a free press, there were issues in Qatar. As an Englishman who believes that everyone has a, a right to their own sexuality, Uh, Human rights obviously was more of an issue in in Qatar as well in terms of the treatment of migrant workers. I I went there in 2007 and there were issues then. And then obviously with part of my job as well as working out how English players can take penalties is to liaise with amnesty, is to liaise liaise with the the Qataris. And I went to, uh, I got invited to, in fact, to, to meet the Emir I think probably to discuss Western coverage. And again, I think b- because of sort of my empathy with Islam, because of my respect for my brother, and because of my respect for for all religions, but not the extremist side, not the intolerant side. Um, so I, I had I had a sort of very brief chat with the Emir in, in Qatar, and I think the Qataris were, were slightly up, upset by the focus of the Western media. It's the holier than thou's position
1: that bothered me a lot in western press telling the qataris or the arab world or the gulf or the islamic world you guys need to be okay with homosexuality you need to be okay with the rainbow flag going but 20 years ago you weren't okay with that 20 years ago costa and, and and starbucks in london in pride month Wasn't rainbow colors. Now that you're okay with that, you want to inflict that on me and demand that I'm okay with you? Everyone's on their own timeline.
0: Yeah. uh, But I think that's because we've been on that journey. And I I do take your point. uh, But because we've been on that journey, we, in a way, and I I agree there is an element of holier than now, particularly not en masse, but I think sort of, you know, individually. And I've definitely been accused of that by the sort of Qataris and and Saudis over my coverage in Newcastle United. Um, I think there is a. I think there's a desire for people to move in a tolerance direction. And I see, I see issues in English society, but I see issues also in, in Saudi society. I mean, do you have a free press here? Freer than we ever had. My general take from a very uh, simple level of someone who is more interested in, in throw-ins um, is that the majority of people in the world are good, you know, and I find that in Russia. I have a, obviously a huge issue with events in the Kremlin and with Putin. And when the Ukrainian pro league started up, this is a very football approach to uh, world politics. But when that started up, I said to the office that well, it was the war had been going on for about three months. And Zelensky said, we want the pro league to go because it's basically giving the finger to the Kremlin and to Putin to show that life goes on here. Football goes on. You will never defeat the Ukrainian spirit. So I said to the officer, I said, oh, the Ukrainian Pro League is uh, is starting up again. I think I might go and cover a match. And they said, oh, that'd be good. And then they realized the logistics of it. And I had to go on hostage awareness training. And I had to be tracked. And I had to have a bodyguard. And I had to have helmets (laughs) and things like that. But it was really important to go and see the resilience of the Ukrainian people, Mm -hmm. you know, who were going about their working lives. And then the air raid sirens would go off. And they would go downstairs. And obviously, there was no one at the... uh, at the matches, apart from one or two, North Western journalists like me. But then, you know, I studied Russian literature tospo Turgenev at University. I've travelled around Russia even before going to the World Cup um, in 2018. And I, I would say, I'm not every Russian, but I would say the, you know, the majority of people are good. They good. just, they just want to sort of be like you and me to have a career to, to you know build a nice house to have holidays and to look after our kids and be good role models. And I think the majority of people are like that, but there are dictators, there are extremists, there are one or two religious leaders of all persuasions who actually don't help that Mm. what the majority of people want, which is goodness and calm and peace and sunshine in their lives.
1: What Western, Western media or Western folks in general painted Russia to be this bad guy? You know, and I remember computer games back in the day. Street Fighter, the the, the last boss was a Russian guy. Yeah. Um, you know, USSR. I, I remember that. They they really. I, I don't know what it is, but I've heard many stories of people going to St. Petersburg back in 2018, and they're saying it was one of the most beautiful cities I've ever. Have been Have
0: you to. ever been? I've never been, and no, I, I want to go to Russia. I have been. That's the sadness. We probably won't go to again. You know, certainly not with Putin there. I mean, you go to a place like St. Petersburg. I mean, I do a um, occasional sort of vlogs and I would go and, and swim in the river, the Volga, and with my sort of iPhone talking, with my teeth chattering, because it's cold, even in July, stupid things to do, and then, uh, and then filming the, uh, the Hermitage, the museum on the far side, and they say, oh, if you're gonna go to the Hermitage, give yourself a day, give yourself a week. I mean, you go in there, and it's just the most stunning building, stunning. As, well, as well as the art there, it's just, it's off the scale. Yeah. So again, you know, on a very simplistic level, how can a country that has produced some of the world's best chess players, best ballerinas, best musicians, best—I mean, they're just best writers, best poets—have such a cultural soul and cultural, you know, depth? How can excuse me? How can they all be? They can't all be that bad. So I, I, I take this view of the world that it's good people and and a few bad leaders. So this is this is is this a microphone that my brother used? Little housekeeping, yes. Yeah. I think this is the exact um, one. Th- th- you know what? I think you should have actually retired it. I think it's like a, Put it in a like a holy relic or something. This should be this should be on a museum. There must be a museum in, in Jeddah, which would be like it should be like behind the um, <laughs> behind glass, like a Leonardo da Vinci yeah, classic. Have. This is honestly this is um I just wish it would actually take my words and just <laughs> reassemble them in a more elegant form. It's become an artifact. Be should have signed absolutely. the headphones as well while he uh, uh, was uh, at it. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just sort of coming back to your point, I think the world is full of good people and some bad leaders. And coming back to your point, which is one of the reasons why you've asked me here about the bad Western media, uh, there's a lot of good in the Western media. I mean, look, we come here, and the Western media will go to countries and will go to Qatar and talk about the good things, But remember, we also, we shine a light on the bad things in English society. We don't let our politicians get away with things. We don't let certain members of our royal families get away. So we scrutinize our leaders probably more than you scrutinize yours. I think, I honestly, what, that? Yeah. That part, you
1: guys are very tough on your people, for sure. I also think that we, we love, since we're talking about leadership, don't discredit how much we love our leadership people think that you know we live in this fear we love our now have you ever been here on september 23rd look at the streets it's i think we sell i I honestly believe we celebrate national day probably as best as a country on earth has celebrated national day i don't think there's anyone up there with us when it comes to celebrating national
0: day sorry every country is patriotic have you been to brazil when they're playing football you know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I would say that about the English. I would say about these. Have you been in Can I challenge, that, can, can you, I challenge that? Sorry, you're saying that the Saudi people are more patriotic than anyone else. Cele-
1: no, 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 I'm, I'm the, Australia when they're playing rugby or they're playing again. England, again, cricket. I'm saying celebration of the flag, national day, well, the, not the sport. That what, po- well, but sorry, but there's a bit of it. There's nuances there. The team, the football, as opposed to celebrating flag day or just the birthday of the nation, is one thing following or supporting the football team, they're they're two slightly different things. Can we not agree on that?
0: Well, no, I think mainly because I look at things through a footballing and sporting perspective. It is, I mean, they've always said sport is war without the bullets. There is absolutely, the, uh, the Olympics and football, the World Cup is all about patriotism. Why do some players, some countries, perform better for their country than they do individually for their clubs because of that national, you know, I mean, Pelé can many people actually name? well a lot of people can name who pele played for at club level obviously santos but he is so embedded in brazilian yes. life in Brazil, and that's woven into so they're taking your point i think the flag and the shirt the sporting shirt they're on a path in, in the us in nfl did you catch this story
1: a year or two ago i'm sure i'm sure you have sure i'm not about to teach you anything about sports the knee that these nfl players will yep. take during national anthem so you're upset at at the politics, at the policies of of what the flag represents right now, but if there's a U.S. men's soccer team, you're going to support the team. So they're kind of two different things, I I, I think. But
0: please correct me so, if my thinking is wrong. No, 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 I'm not correcting you at all. the um, The whole taking the knee debate was rose. Well, I mean, it goes back to um, Martin Luther King, if we want to take it, you know, to to its original genesis. Um, it it arose because of police brutality. Yes. Again, coming back to our essential debate, which is where you and I share the same page, is a dislike of intolerance, and the the, the racial tensions that still exist in parts of America manifest itself. And I, I mean, I write a lot about the young English a very empowered generation of England footballers, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, who've done huge good, you know, we talk about sort of the issues in other countries, but actually Marcus Rashford went and fed the kids of this country when Boris Johnson wouldn't. And I was talking to, this is all about pre-school meals. So obviously a lot of people, their parents can't afford, literally, I mean, it's crazy we live in this world, but couldn't afford to feed, give their kids a proper breakfast before they went to school. And that obviously affects them. How can they f- concentrate in classes? Um, was Marcus Rashford, Manchester United in England, because he had benefited from free school meals, they're called, uh, as a kid, he was determined that that should sort of continue. And he took on Boris Johnson. And I remember talking to some people around the time, this is just pre-COVID, um, talking to, uh, to some of the people in 10 Downing Street where Boris Johnson was prime minister at the time. Um, and just saying, you're not going to beat Marcus Rashford because he's very empowered. There's a reason for the story. Um, And so the good that he did, and then Raheem Sterling on racism, because, you know, the parts of English society where there is still elements of racism, sadly, we're particularly seeing it on social media, which can be a sewer at times. So that England generation, it's, it's fantastic. And they were taking the knee. And the reason why... Unfortunately, in, in England, the debate got blurred between the Black Lives Matter movement as a political movement, defunding the police, and Black Lives Matter as a principle. And, you know, white lives matter, black lives matter, everyone lives yeah. matter. So when the England players started taking the knee, I thought it was really good and they got booed at, but actually increasingly people accepted and and understood what the the point they were trying to make. You know the acceptance that there should be t- more tolerance. Coming back to our central debate, which is what this your podcast is about, it is about a plea for tolerance.
1: Tolerance, absolutely. Did England faced a, a bit of a bit of a racial issue or tension? I think it was the Euros when Ooh. three black players just so happened to miss the bloody penalties. Um, how was that taken in, in in the press and the populace? Was there we a bit of
0: absolutely went after those who'd racially abused them. Everyone in the country did, and it was, there can't be anything uplifting coming out of that because he was absolutely brutal, because we know the three individuals, Jaden Sancho, Bukayo Sacco, and Marcus Sacco, Rashford. Yeah, stars, um, superstars. Yeah, and Rashford had had it before, and I know Marcus quite well, and I had been sent the private messages that he got sent and oh, so everyone knew that because you could see on the timelines the sort of the, the abuse that he was getting and I got sent the I mean it was just string of monkey emojis brutal. Huh? I mean it was just you know and voice messages as well and you just think are there really people like that in this society and then Okay, so there are many different lines of attack that you go into when you want to stand up for people, and in this case was to call on the social media companies to actually show some responsibility, to call on the government to clamp down on the social media companies who are making money in this country and elsewhere, and not actually showing any desire to clamp down properly on, uh, on hate crime, which is what it was. And then you found the country, just because I, actually I think the, the English as a country, British, is actually quite a compassionate country again coming back to people as opposed to leadership because we don't have a particularly good leadership at the moment and I'm allowed to criticise as a as a journalist in England um you are, I didn't mean to nod yeah yeah no that's right yeah but nobody's but true we got we've got some hopeless politicians on on all sides for for many reasons um but the you know the the family enveloped and wrapped those three young kids in their warmth. And do you know that one of the many sadnesses of, of that day, because it was, it was a dreadful occasion on and off the pitch, but you just knew, you know, the first two players who took the penalties were white. And if they'd missed, they'd get a bit of stick. But you just knew the... And we, we've had this debate in English football about black players taking penalties. So, look, we as journalists, as a media, we, we cast a, a light on the issues that we have in society that, from my perspective affect the national team because I write a lot about England and England writing about England is also quite an interesting window onto the 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 soul and the the state of of England but actually it was quite uplifting wherever you went the reaction the support for those three and when Bakayo Saka warmed up at Brentford the first uh, game of of the following season when he warmed up you know and you know the rivalry between English clubs okay Brentford You know, they're not exactly a bunch of, you know, hooligans or whatever. They're Mm. they're all quite so respectable. Um, But their love for him was huge. And when he came on, their love for him was huge. And he Brentford is is a London team, West London, yeah. Yeah, the
1: Premier League, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Not, quite, not not quite as big as Chelsea. No, no. Uh, but uh, which uh, we'll get which we're going to get into. Which which we'll get into. Yeah, that's that's where you get light down. Lovely for the couch, little stadium for,
1: for a team that just got promoted. I Un- see it on the way from Heathrow. Stadium,
0: yeah. unbelievable stadium. The way they they tuck that in there. I mean, it's basically you know for your listeners, it's effectively on a railway siding, and they managed to squeeze mm-hmm. it in there. And one of the great things is, and I know you've been to the Metropolitano but when clubs move ground you know you can lose the atmosphere but because you know when you went to see Atletico Madrid their old ground was fantastic I mean it was ramshackle it should have been pulled down it was a health hazard but the atmosphere there was brilliant again it comes back to a central argument everything comes back to people everything comes back to compassion and and tolerance, okay. but yeah, so in terms of those three, and I know we got that sort of the English society, everyone said, "Oh, you're being holier than now, you're always having to go at others, but you know look at your um look at what's going on, actually, the English media was totally well, as, as absolutely they should be, partly because we know there was individuals, and partly because it was wrong, um you know there was such anger to the way they were treated. so the media protected, yeah, absolutely, exactly. yeah. Yeah. And and we have done, we have done for quite a few years. I mean, I can remember going, I've been at, I mean, it's sad, one of the sad parts of the job, but I've been in, in Bulgaria where the, the racists there were, were abusing English players, and the and I was talking to the England players afterwards and said, why don't you walk off? Because mm-hmm. at some point, you know, we're such a multicultural, multi-faith society, yeah. actually, and while I like, if I, I look, if I open the England dressing room door, I see what I want society to look like. Mm. I see all cultures, all faiths, everyone pulling in the same direction. Yeah. Tolerance, good people. I think that's that is so important. And but sadly, I've, be, I've seen England players racially abused all over. Yeah. In in Real at Real Madrid when England played there at the Bernabeu, one of the great arenas of English football, and then we sat. Was it two thousand and three or four? Ashley Cole got racially abused. Sean Wright Phillips got racially abused. Black players racially abused and the referee didn't do anything, the stewards didn't do anything, and we spoke to the Spanish coach afterwards, and and he said, oh, Spain played well, and he said, well, aren't you ashamed of your players? So I think just coming back to your central point about the Western media, I think we do stand up for for certain things, and I think we can nudge things in a certain direction, in in, in a good direction, domestically and abroad. Mm -hmm. But I I agree, there is an element of arrogance about telling other countries how to live their lives, but I think we've been on certain journeys and we have not necessarily a right to do it, but certainly some experience to do it.
1: Also one bad journalist, and, and, and it's almost like he represents the entire industry. I think it was, um, was it uh, Gary Lineker who took a stance against Qatar, and he's obviously, you know, high, high profile. and And people in our region were like, British press, you know, throwing the World Cup under the bus before it even started, you know, give us a chance.
0: Well, well, so there there are two elements with Qatar. First, I mean, I was there involved in the bidding process and I saw the way that Qatar won it and they didn't win it fairly. I think everyone accepts that. I think if you actually look at the amount of people at FIFA who've left since then, since that decision and FIFA's attempts to actually try and improve it, you know, FIFA's not exactly the world's great moral institution. It's all about money. It's all about greed. It's all about personality and politics. Platter was in hot water. Blatter was in, in hot water um, and then obviously he, he got moved on. I don't think FIFA has necessarily improved that much. I think there's a little bit more accountability now. But the way that, that, the way that Qatar got it for a tournament that couldn't be played in the summer there, and it's an interesting debate, and I've had a chat with a few people out here about when you host the World Cup here. I know it's slightly cooler in this region than Qatar, which is all brutal in, in June, July but whether it will be another sort of November, December World Cup, it'll be interesting. So I'm all for sharing the World Cup around the world. I think absolutely there's no reason why the sort of the first world footballing countries, in inverted commas, those who founded and codified it, like the English, like Germany, should automatically have it just because we've got the big stadium and we've got the sort of history and whatever. I think it's one of the best things in the world, taking the World Cup. The World Cup, by its very name, belongs to the world. So again, it should be shared around but yeah, Qatar, Qatar deserved the criticism because of the migrant workers, the way they were treated, um, because there were concerns about English gay fans, whether they could actually, you know, what would happen to them if they walked down the Corniche in Doha holding hands, which is just normal life, no one even notices that.
1: Men hold England. hands in Saudi well before homosexuality was accepted in the UK. Good men hold hands.
0: Yeah, mm. but sorry, but is that a, a sexual thing, or is it's, that just it's
1: not? It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural As thing. they walk, they, they, they okay. hold hands. Yeah, They're very very normal.
0: No, fine. But I'm sort of talking about would a gay couple have that license? I mean, I, I I think a question was posed to one of the Qatari officials,
1: and um and and he said, you know, we're we're a country of, of tolerance. Um, you know, no, no one's going to ask you, you know, what your sexual preference or orientation no. is. Um, so so long as you're being respectful and you're dressed accordingly, um, you know you're okay. I, I think it was the rainbow flag specifically that was that was said no to, and 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 thus that's where the media ate it up.
0: Yeah, but that was pure politics on Infantino's part. Yeah. I mean, he Infantino is good. People go into FIFA and change. Again, coming back to my central point, the majority of people are good, mm. but I think organizations, institutions, power can, can change people mm. and not for the better um, but absolutely Qatar deserved the criticism and I, it shouldn't have been there and actually my argument at the time was that actually wouldn't it have been fantastic if it had been a Gulf World Cup because I think they were you'd know this better than, than I would but there were issues between competing Gulf nations there were huge issues whether it was over broadcast and being and, and and some of the sort of the, the illegal broadcasting and the tensions between the country. I think a, a Gulf World Cup would have been absolutely fantastic because it might have brought parts of the region together um, as well as taken the focus away from Qatar who bought the World Cup.
1: My friends who went said it was a little too tight to house eight stadiums within uh, yeah. an hour from one end to the other, which which actually some, some said that that was, you know, you actually want to experience the country and some said it's actually great because I could catch if I want to do three matches in one day.
0: Yeah, oh, so, oh, it's... England fans are obsessed with football. I mean, they were just, I mean I had one friend who I think did 48 of the 54. Oh, wow. You could get around. I mean, I did the heart I drove everywhere, which is, I mean, your roads are lively here, but mm. Qatar is just, although you're roundabouts here, I'm going. We are the kings of roundabouts. You're, you are the kings of roundabouts, but it's a bit like being caught in a very, very complicated, high-speed, rather drunk Scottish country dance mm. where... <laughs> Where everyone is going in different directions, normally to the bar, but it's, but it's absolute, I love your roundabouts, but I'm, I'm almost sort of hiding down mm. behind the wheel. Anyway. You'd
1: be disappointed to know yeah. that we're phasing them out. So this, this the is about, roundabouts? Yeah, there's about maybe 10 major ones left in Jeddah, as opposed to 100 10 years ago. So they've been phased out, there have now been bridges or flyovers or traffic lights. And U-turns. And the U-turns, yeah. We you do. Can do U-turns.
0: U-turns. You love a U-turn. Yeah. And I'm going, Oof. especially
1: ones that merge with traffic going one twenty. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I've driven in Rio and I've driven in LA, and I have to say, I think you go into my top five lively drivers. Yeah. You yeah. should produce some great Formula One drivers. The, so. the way you the way you weave in and it's, out.
1: We're plus, still, also you're not sure of petrol. That there's that and the element of us not being into the open wheel racing just yet. You no. know? <laughs> NASCAR, I always said NASCAR would do well because it looks like something that's on the road.
0: Yeah, that's true. F
1: one might be you know too sophisticated for our petrol heads yeah haven't year. you had a, you haven't haven't you had a formula 1 formula 1 three you've had three yeah, yeah there yeah. you go and so. every year you'd be happy to know this is a sports journalist every year there's m- more butts in seats it's filled Right, up. good yeah good, good, which good. is great
0: talking which that was disappointing um for the semi final with manchester city
1: i know. And, yeah. in the expensive areas yeah
0: the vip was a bit low on numbers yeah but you know, if if and there were blocks there, and my argument with blocks, and we occasionally get it—not in the Premier League, but occasionally get it at one or two matches. Give it to local school kids. Yeah. Give it to, I and mean, I don't know if everyone has been better at a certain time, but I mean, you just you just get a whole class at school and say, right, you're going on tonight.
1: So, so the 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 cheaper uh, seats, the ones that are in the camera view, center center cam view, that was full. Yeah. Okay. It's the box. If you saw where the box was, yeah, which, yeah. which is you know. Probably over five, five, six hundred pounds for a seat, and which is why I wanted Etihad. You know, if we didn't get spanked sure. out of the blue, and we were we were heavily favored, by the way. Yeah. Um, Ahli Masri were 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 five to one as winners, and we were like one and a half to one.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, and I noticed you're not allowed to bet here. You're not allowed to bet here. Okay. I just checked on Footmob. You actually have the thing that tells you
0: okay. what
1: is a likelihood, and I wanted to see it from a neutral, and no better neutral than a betting house. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I said one point five. It had to win, and the others were were five. I went to the match. And we just got punched in the mouth, and Benzema was off his game that day, and then he missed a penalty, and you know, two goals down in front of your home crowds, the 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 defense and the midfield just they just give up, yeah. And ended up ended up three one. But if it if it was Etihad against Man City yesterday, yeah, or the day before, you wouldn't have seen an empty seat, no. Which is important
0: for the local team to advance. I get that, Um, but also it's it, it has to be about sporting pedigree and ability, of course. But also, I think as you are engaged in a PR war, it's too strong a word, but a PR campaign to Mm -hmm. convince people you're a footballing nation who is worthy of hosting the World Cup in 2034, that was a bad look. Even though it was 40,100 people? Well, uh, 96, there were a few seats empty then. There was absolute outrage because also... You're in 96, yeah? Yeah, you're in 96, yeah. So particularly with... Premier League ticket prices being high. When you see empty seats, whether it's corporate, whether it's no-shows, you just go, there's a kid who is literally outside with his face pressed up Mm -hmm. against the glass, like a sort of Dickensian orphan, you know, wanting to go in there, wanting to be part of the dream. And this is a general thing with football. Maybe it's slightly tied in with our central conversation of, of good people, is that football, and this is definitely a criticism that can be directed at the English, is being slightly taken away from working class a bit patronizing and it's a sort of it's a sort of disparate group now, but but actually the traditional fans. So when you do get a chance to fill a ground, fill it. Yeah. Um
1: especially if you're not going to show the three o'clock games on a Saturday. Oh wow. You know? Can wow. we can we
0: go there? Or? You can, absolutely. I mean the What's the whole that about. I mean Okay. It's... Right. Um Uh, The finals on Friday, I've got Christmas on Monday. I've then got uh, 14 matches over the holiday period. It would probably take me about two weeks to explain the vagaries of the English football system. So three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon was originally there so factory workers could go to the game and work hard during the week. So part of the industrial revolution which is uh, on its last leg which is on it yes because we're moving into the media age as so. as you're we, showing me with your very impressive studio with with lights and cameras yes. and very expensive microphones which uh, should have been retarded <laughs> or because my brother uh my brother, is, uh, my brother is, has graced its presence do you um, know that michael jackson
1: recorded thriller on these shura mics they're a 30 year old technology not a wish you right. then i would really close down the studio yeah um, not to take anything away from your brother but these you do have an off
0: the wall program Sorry? You do have an off-the-wall program. What does so that mean? That, sorry, that's a Michael Jackson oh. joke. Sorry. My, English siblings, humor, my sorry. siblings
1: are going to laugh at me for, for, <laughs> for not getting that one. But these mics, as modern as they look, they aren't. Uh, they're about 30 years old.
0: How about that? Are they?
1: Yeah. Wow. He recorded these, are, these are brilliant, these mics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're great. You hear it. You hear everything. Yeah. The quality is just... I literally saw what Rogan uses to record and I didn't decide to go anywhere else. No. Go, tried go and try to the test top it. Man. Yeah. Um so yeah, you'd have to be in the Gulf to watch Brentford versus Brighton if that wets your palate on a Saturday at three PM.
0: Yeah. I mean the well the whole idea of keeping the three PM free of televised games in the UK, of, of the elite games, is so that it doesn't affect the tendencies of clubs down the pyramid.
1: Okay, so that was the strategy behind yeah.
0: it. So so Chelsea they wouldn't want their Chelsea game shown at three o'clock because um, live because it might affect Fulham when they were not in the same division, their attendance if they were playing at three o'clock. Having said that, they they wouldn't because the police wouldn't allow them to play at the same time anyway. So if um, they showed it on TV, you can't you can't show a three o'clock game. I know you can't. But in a world, let's
1: hypothetically say that if if Sky Sports had ten different channels and one for each yep. whatever, yep. if you had access to it the way NBA has NBA League League, league Pass. If they had that facility available for purchase, would that affect the attendance of matches?
0: Well, this is, this is a huge debate about whether it affects... It. I mean, you know, we're like in, in England. You've got 92 professional clubs and probably half the National League are, are, are pretty much professional. People are so passionate, so tribal, you know. I mean, one of the worst things you can do in England is to say, I used to be a Chelsea fan, but now I'm a Manchester United fan. You cannot change, you, you know. Change. In life, you can change your job, you can change your partner, you cannot change your club. That's a slightly simplistic football way of looking at life, but um, I think it's true. So, so coming back to the three o'clock, this is really technical stuff. Um, th- but the irony is, is that effectively, the decision won't have to be taken because Sky with a new television contract they have so many games on Sunday, they'll have games on Friday night, they'll have games at 12.30 UK time on a, on a Saturday and in the evening, that actually there'll probably only be one or two games that kick off at the traditional time at three o'clock on a Saturday. So kind of that argument is slightly going.
1: Probably pisses off the players if they're not on the game that's shown on TV. Everyone wants to be shown. Everyone wants to showcase. Yeah, everyone's a brand. Players are are brands,
0: aren't they? They are. But all the games. I mean, I wrote a book on England um, about sort of seven, eight years ago, and I spent a sort of slightly lively day in a pub in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and in California, just watching game after game after game, which you can do. You can't, Fox, right? Big yeah, shot, yeah, I mean, it's just. I think it, was, it might have been NBC or Fox. Yeah, one of the two, I mean, yeah. probably Fox. Yeah um and you know it was just it was it was huge that absolutely would be an appetite but i mean i was in here in a cafe around the corner from here and i was watching a rerun of brentford against aston villa yeah. and i was so just coming back to your point about players as a brand they're global anyway they know yeah. their matches have being shown around the world yeah. and you see it i mean manchester city when they arrive here you know the reception they get or wherever they go around the world and there with manchester city not yet you know they're not in liverpool or Manchester United's league in terms of global okay. appeal. But yeah, players, and it's, I mean, it's interesting, players, it's becoming very much player-shaped in terms of the younger generation are following players more. So Ronaldo leaves uh, Manchester United, their numbers go down, he joins, you know, he comes out to Saudi, yes. their numbers go up. So,
1: you know, he's, Brands, he's, he's huge. Great, great case study. That Would you like to witness a world where each, where, where Cons- Excuse me, no problem. Would you like to see the day where consumers have the option to purchase uh, a match to watch if it's not televised, instead of waiting for match of the day, end of the day?
0: The majority of matches you can, pretty much. I mean, it's probably about two thirds of the next television deal that you can watch live. Um, I think ultimately, I mean, that's what the Glazers were hoping for. That's what a lot of the American owners were hoping for. That they could actually stream their games live and their argument is why should we split the television money fairly equitably between 20 clubs who some of them are corner shops and some of them are one of your famous 350 mm-hmm. shopping malls yeah. you know much sort of bigger so yeah I can see that but then that the strange thing about the Premier League is it's a, a celebration of capitalism, but it actually works, runs slightly on communist lines in terms of, the, you know, the sharing around of the profits and the, and the revenue. And it works because if you strengthen the weakest team, they might give the, uh, you know, the, the, the league leader a bloody nose. You know, that's, that's great. That adds to the sporting jeopardy, and that's why it's the best sporting league in the world, let alone football league in the world, because on any given day, you could have an ambush. Are you, are you
1: for the draft system and how? Because I'm a big NBA fan and, sure. I, and I see how the NBA, you know, have given the opportunity for consumers to pay. I think it's down to like four or five pounds if you just want to buy a single game or a league pass. So you have the option there, and I think options in life is better than no options. Um, but I'll come. I'll come back to the options and why I think that every game should be allowed in the UK. Um, do you think the draft system, whereby it allows the worst team to one day be the best team by way of the draft makes it more exciting, or do you want the Arsenal, Man U, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool to to be the top five forever?
0: We had Leicester City five thousand to one.
1: Once in a million, one in a million.
0: You getting? I
1: love I love this story. I respect that. Yeah. For sure. But like, when was the last one before that? Blackburn in ninety nine.
0: Yeah, yeah, ninety uh, five. Yeah, and they had, you know, they had financial backing. I think we should all be allowed to to dream. I agree with that, but I mean, look, you look at Manchester City at the moment, I mean, obviously, whenever you write about Manchester City and whenever you talk to people there, you have to mention the 115 financial charges that have been leveled at them, which they deny, but financial breaches, shortcuts. Are consequences coming from that? Because I keep hearing about it, but then, you know, everything seems to be business as usual. Don't uh, don't stand by your phone. Okay. It's, it's going to be... I don't think you are be having Pep in here on a podcast bemoaning, be- 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 bemoaning relegation <laughs> to... <laughs> To the grassroots league on the edge of Manchester, yeah. No, Is that I'm, the potential repercussions that they get? Yeah, facing? yeah. And it would be, it'd be one of the biggest sporting stories of all time. Wow. But again, that's because of the lawyers, the power of lawyers. Mm. Um, again, taking the game away from the people who it sh- really should be about, mm. the fans and the players, that's been dragged probably into the long grass of late next year. So, you know, that's frustrating. I, I
1: bring it up because um, I was... I a was, I, bred in england and it's a part of me um london is one of my favorite cities irrespective of what the crime rate looks like today
0: uh, can uh, i say another media myth is it? I said, i got yeah absolutely i had a friend who came over from america works in mls and he said where's safe to go in london i said it's one of the safest
1: cities in the world The amount, know, the amount of people who i know had their phones nicked and and watches ripped off and and knife crime it's it's on
0: I, really? I, I would be amazed. i mean you know my kids go out partying in london and look there's crime in all cities but i wouldn't put london in the top 10 most dangerous cities i i what well, i would say is because of social media and medium because we have no problems in in writing about i mean i do i write arsenal got an amazing scheme about knife crime um and i think was it last year 30 people in london died from knife crime and I don't know how that compares with an American city, but I can't imagine it's, you know, it's you don't feel there's a crime wave going on in London. You can get on the tube late at night. Um, I've never had any, I've been chased a couple of times in in London, but. It's probably about an article you wrote. Yeah, I, get, I do get that a lot. Um, yeah, <laughs> ang- angry Arsenal fans saying, why are you so nasty to Arsene Wenger? Um, I would
1: never compare it against an American city that's in a league of its own with the, with the yeah. crime there. But, um well, I mean'm I'm, I'm kind of semi-relieved that you're saying it's it's just propaganda that's happening.
0: It's it's not, not propaganda it's mm-hmm. it's just ill-informed, ill-informed because because I mean, you go to London now London is packed with tourists. yeah packed packed B- because because of the um, I think post COVID, everyone wants to to come now. People are people are ready to come back. Americans, it's unbelievable how many Americans. Yeah, well, visiting. it's great. It's great for great, great. for business. It's great yeah. for West End, My wife's an actress, yeah. so the fact that the um that the theaters are, are absolutely Packed. rammed yeah. to, to capacity, and you get people walking out of theaters and walking to the tube and managing to get home without getting mugged. So uh, anyone on your podcast, you're safe. But it, look. You don't go out with a flashy watch. The, I mean, the, where, yes, where, you know, I've got a cheap watch there. I've got a nice Swatch. watch, uh, it's just a like seventy dollar mm. watch, which I wear whenever I go to Champions League games, mm-hmm. when I'm traveling Europe, when whatever, and I've got a sort of nicer watch which I'll wear at home yeah. for special occasions. You don't wander around with a big camera around yeah. your neck saying Have Your wits me. about you. Yeah. 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 I mean it's it's traveling one oh one.
1: Yeah. Um and a- another thing that came to mind when I was talking about the Americans in London, baseball has really bought in an element <laughs> I it was two years ago three when when you had the two biggest teams the yeah. the, the liverpool manchester united you had the red Sox against the yankees yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was two or three matches there where was it it was in the west ham
0: yeah yeah, yeah. The city of yeah. london the state which is what it's good for because it's not a it's soccer. not it's an oval yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah yeah it's shocking because it was it was an athletic statement they should have knocked it down they should have is it
1: still it's still west ham's home ground yeah, yeah? Yeah. The, the distance between the, the bench and the touchline is just way more than we're used
0: to. Do you know what, we, um, because we're cheeky in the, in the media, when, uh, when they opened it, we, we actually told the West Ham fans that if any of you can have pitch invasions, you're going to have to get fit, because <laughs> it, yes. it's a long way to the pitch. <laughs> yes. No matter how bad
1: our security are as tacklers. <laughs> <Excuse me. clears throat> Something really upset me over the summer, and, and I can understand why, Simon Jordan and, and BBC just laid into us about about Newcastle. And I know it was the summer season and it was slow, but every day for six months, it was
0: about Saudi, Saudi, Saudi. They have no right getting all those players. But no one really took Simon Jordan seriously on that because Premier League have been licking players from France and wherever. So, you know, one opinionator, I know Simon, is he's, he's, he's a very good broadcaster. Mm-hmm. But you know, one opinionated broadcaster doesn't reflect the mood of the people. Everyone was saying, actually, most people were happy with Sally because they were taking off some of the players that well, we he, were offloading for yeah, good money. He, he wasn't. And 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 last time I checked, it's free market. So if you're not going to pay this guy X, how about
1: kind of like with Live? Well, how about I pay him a little bit more, maybe what he deserves? But
0: it's it's a free market. So it was. No, just, I think Live Liv was slightly different. and sort of my my golfing knowledge is very limited, but, but Live. Well, the money with Liv threatened the fabric of a sport. Okay. The money from the Saudi Pro League absolutely helped out the English clubs with financial fair play, because you were overpaying for players who we were going, we'll drive them to the airport, some of them. So, and and maybe Liv, maybe live is something we can get into. But out in uh, Qatar, when I had to go and see the, uh, the, the Amir. we went to the Waldorf Astoria, and it was a very civilized Arabic way of saying, we quite like to talk to you, um, and this is our invitation. So it wasn't, in England it would be, let's go and have you know tea with the, the Prime Minister at the Ritz or the Savoy. Um, it was, let's go and play paddle at the Waldorf Astoria. And my paddle partner was Simon Jordan. And he's so competitive, he said, don't let me down. <laughs> and I said, I'll be listening to you for long enough. Um, I would love to let you down. But no, we didn't, we won, we had to play some Guitarist, and then I got to meet the uh, the the very very tall Amir. He's tall, six four. He's he's six four. Wow. wow, yeah, yeah, very tall. Should be more into basketball than football. But anyway, so back to Simon <coughs> Jordan, who is, I mean, he loves football and he always fancied himself not, as a not, footballer. Not happy the Saudi. Okay, we bought ourselves into this. Okay, but you're not. You, you, this is one person shouting, yeah, and, on a very big mic. Okay, on a very big mic, but you know we have a huge media in this country. So yeah, look, he's, his program is very well followed. His podcast is good and he's very opinionated. But that was one person's view. Mm.
1: And then he threw in the Newcastle thing and it, buying the club, but it wasn't a problem when City was bought by Abu Dhabi. You didn't, I didn't hear a fuss when, when the Qatari jumped on PSG, mind you, that was France. Uh, or when Emirates, I don't think Emirates own any equity in Arsenal, but they're all mm-hmm. over Arsenal. But all of a sudden, when we buy, Newcastle, a team that, you know, not many people were thinking of before the sale for uh, a very, I think, undervalued $305 million. Unbelievable bit of business. Brilliant business. All of a sudden, it's chaotic and and states should not own equity or uh, own any football teams or ruining the game and all that and just throwing it under the bus. And then he was asked if he'd accept the job uh, to head the Saudi League and to which he said yes.
0: Oh, did he? Oh, well there you yeah, go. Yeah. Well there you go. So that's um, when it all came crashing. Down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that that's that Simon would be. Um, I think there'd be one or two people who drive him to the airport. Um, <laughs> what do you think of the Newcastle? Uh, so I've been consistent on this from the word go. Yep. Um, I had a huge issue with the previous owner. Mike Ashley because he was draining the life and the love out of the club and Newcastle is not just a club which relies on its emotional connection and the fans but it's a city it's a region which is because it's far from London they feel a bit unloved Uh, economically they've had issues there but it's such a brilliant vibrant city it's probably the number one city in the country or you know the UK that people want to go to for the university and when the team's doing well, they have a 10% increase of applications from overseas because it's it's a party town, but also when the team's doing well, it's just a special place. But when the team's doing poorly and the fans think there isn't a pride in the Newcastle shirt, it just casts a cloud over the whole place. I mean, the shirt's black and white and everyone looks through life in black and white. I mean, it's a slight cliche, but but it's true. And Mike didn't just, you know, he was—he's not a Newcastle fan. He's a businessman, and it was just—it just needed love. It needed some, you know, tender, loving care. So, you know, the Newcastle fans would have sold out to anyone. He was—he wasn't popular towards the end of his days. Though. He wasn't popular from the start, mm. you know, because of the. You would go there. You look at the training ground. It was a bit shabby. It needed some investment. You looked at the delays in in players' contracts. So, success. Is tends to uh, mask and move on many agendas and you look at the club now, the way it's been handled is an absolute masterclass in soft management, in terms of appointing the right people, whether that was Eddie Howe, whether that was getting Kieran Trippi from Atletico Madrid, an absolute winner had a bit of a nightmare last night, but he's just you know, everyone was expecting, oh, they're going to go for Messi, they're going to go for Mbappé, and I was writing at the time and said they would be tough to go for that. Okay, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's evolution. So, PIF, the Saudis, absolutely, the, the way they have handled it. But I think people do understand, you know, maybe it's partly for investment, as you say, quite rightly, that they've got it in absolute steel. It'll be worth a billion now. Probably. But it is all about changing the, the image of, of the Saudis in the Western eye. So it's quite interesting, you know, you you talk about the sort of Western media. Saudis, obviously, at elite level, high level, are concerned about their image in the West, whether it's you'd know more about this than I would, whether it's this 2030 vision and you're trying to change the view, trying to get more tourists here, um, you get more sporting events here. And and sport is a great way of getting directly to people and say, we're the same as you, we love sport. Mm. And, you know, they are getting Newcastle fans streaming again.
1: You know, uh, to be honest, so much reflection to 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 what you just said. Um, there was a time not too long ago, five six years ago, where we we actually cared about how we'd be perceived, and it's gotten to the point where we felt that we are able to compete in, in hosting these world world class events. Albeit, okay, I understand the semi final had forty thousand one hundred and six fans there, but nevertheless. We feel that we can compete if it's Dakar, if it's F one. Yeah. If you told me ten years ago, Mo, do you think Saudi can host an F one? I'd say no.
0: What in terms of your organization? In terms of we we
1: we didn't have the blueprint or the know-how or the skill set to close down a couple of kilometers in our corniche to yeah. to plop a track over there. Yeah. You know? Like it's gonna be it's gonna be a shit show. I I would imagine streakers running across the track, you know, after the, 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 the flag goes. But all of a sudden it's like shit, we are we are capable actually yeah. to do this. So the validation seeking element isn't as prominent as you might think it is. To be very honest with you, I'm not trying to sing our praises. You know, we're we're, we're maybe not so good in many things, but what I've noticed today is that we couldn't care less what what you think of us because we feel that we can compete with you guys. Um, And and maybe beating Argentina probably went to our heads a little too much. But um, there was a lot of validation seeking five, 10 years ago. You know, what would the West think of us? People ask me, you, know, you started your English Saudis. You started your English podcast. You want to impress the West? I was like, no, there's five times more English-speaking people in the world than Arabic, and I'm better at it as an English speaker than an Arabic speaker. So that's why, excuse mm. me, but that's why I started my podcast. I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm just trying to show, you know. No, I think
0: you have an intelligent monarchy. You have intelligent people there who know that it's absolutely uh, makes sense to get on the west from economic uh, perspective, but also I think every country wants to be liked by other countries. Mm. It, it you know makes sense on a simple human level and makes sense on a simple economic level. You want tourists to come to this country. I mean, I look at some of the parts of Saudi Arabia and I think this is just incredible. You know, some of the valleys and the sort of you know the perception in the west is that it's it's a desert with some skyscrapers mm. and oil wells everywhere. Whereas actually... And dangerous. Too many people think it's very dangerous. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure the English people would. I think they think that it's actually... More so the Americans maybe. Oh
1: my God, Saudi Arabia. I know it from like the trainers that come to Saudi, those in the fitness fitness. business. You're gonna go to Saudi Arabia? I have my old trainer Bill from Tennessee oh my God, like his family were so against moving here and when he came back for Christmas, they were like, we thought we'd never see you again. Right. He's like, I never locked my, my car in Saudi Arabia yeah. and and here, if if I lock my car, I might never see it again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the <laughs> only time I felt any danger is being on one of your roundabouts. That's it. So, so yeah. close those down. Which and, we're uh, phasing out. Close down and you'll be even safer than Switzerland. <laughs> yes. You'll be Switzerland with sand. That's pushing it. But <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you're probably wealthier. Um, but yeah, in terms of Yeah, I think everyone wants to be liked. And I think it does make sense. I mean, if I understand the the Vision 2030 correctly, it is about opening up. And that would imply that they're unhappy with their their image. And I I like your your bullish stance about we don't care because we can organize. Absolutely you can organize, but also you're intelligent enough to know to get... You know, if you host a Formula One race, you will get the best British engineers, the yeah. best broadcasters who are from America, from France, from Holland, from from the UK. In the world's a smaller place; yeah. people move around. Sports events. You know, you've got a big boxing events on this. You'll hear you'll hear English voices running it, American voices. So, and that you know that is a travelling roadshow that goes around, and they'll come to Saudi Arabia. But I think you need to change. Again, I don't want to come over as a Western journalist, but I think it's because I have an empathy with the country because of my my brother. You know, I want to see you regarded more highly in, amongst the amongst in the West, and I would abs- You know, say you've got an intelligent leadership, and it makes sense because still, would I, as a tourist, come to Saudi Arabia? I would. The safety thing isn't an issue. Yeah. Absolutely not an issue. But if I look at some of the beauty of your hinterland, I think I would, if I had a more emotional connection with Saudi Arabia, but I think that is that is coming. Question for you.
1: Do you want to see the country, Saudi Arabia, do something special? Would you like
0: to see 2034 World Cup hosted in Saudi? Um, on the simple level of rotation around the world, I would rather it have gone to Australia. Australia. Yeah, because they haven't had it. Um, did, did they bid for it? They, I think they withdrew when they realized who they were up against and when they saw Infantino getting on the first flight to Jeddah. And so they and were worried that, that Saudi would get it anyway for whatever reason, so it's not even worth a bid. It, it, it can cost quite a lot to bid, to bid to get the whole thing, and they thought, Oof. and they just hosted a very successful Women's World Cup with New Zealand. I thought that was sad. I, I like seeing I'm in the... You know, Uh, going to Japan and South Korea, the work out there was fantastic, and it made a change for... 2002. Yeah, I mean, that was just... Was it a good one? It was fantastic. Because when we go to tournaments, and maybe it's a sort of English media thing, because we're nosy and we're curious and we're fascinated about exploring, is we want to celebrate the country. Couldn't really celebrate Qatar, because there was, you know, obviously, there were all the issues, the way they got it, the human rights, the LGBT issue. Um, the for, execution, for, the stadiums, execution, the stadiums, at- at- fantastic atmosphere in the matches. The atmosphere was good, and you see, that's what we do in the in the Western media. Is that I don't have anyone telling me what to write. I mean, I've been doing this for thirty six, seven years, Goodness. and no one has ever once told me what to to, to write. So absolutely, you know what we do is we're we're weathermen. You know, if it's raining, we say it's raining. If it's sunny, we say it's sunny. So you go to Qatar, and because I'm the son of an architect, and because I've always enjoyed um, Islamic Moorish architecture, having travelled around the south of Spain, and just seeing some of the buildings there, some of the stadiums, which is absolutely stunning. Again, some of the 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 banks, whatever they were, on the on the Corniche. In Doha again, absolutely stunning. Lucille specifically, the the, the big boy was was just stunning. I mean, it was just beautiful. I mean, it was it was a very difficult moment because when a lot of us were going to the final, we just lost one of our colleagues who died suddenly. Very famous, Grant Vail, very famous American writer, worked for Sports Illustrated. Remember that story? It was it was just terrible because we're all such friends with him, and you know, was it all uh, the reason of death? It was cause of death. It's a very very complicated phraseology and I don't want to disrespect him by getting the the name wrong but it was something to do with his heart and it was very sudden and he died in front of some of our colleagues who tried to bring around and you're not just trying to bring around a complete random stranger you're trying to bring around someone who you know you know his wife and it was so it was it was very emotional heading to 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 the final i mean i'm a fairly stoic character but i remember go, just hearing the news and i was doing something for the bbc which is separate from Talksport, and uh, and just going live on there and they said, just before i went live on there they said do you mind if we ask you about grant and i found it really difficult to talk about because we were very close and when you see someone and you've been talking to him 24 hours ago about have you got your mixed zone allocation and just little tiny things like that um, so remember, that was very yeah, yeah. that was very emotional because we are a we're we're a tight knit bunch with all the other sort of journalists I and mean, I don't know too many of the, the Saudi Arabian journalists I know uh, quite a few of the African journalists obviously haven't covered uh, the World Cup in in 2010 down mm-hmm. in in it's in Africa. South Africa yeah and the Americans and you know we're 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 good mates and so that was quite an emotional I don't think that. Affected our view of the World Cup, I don't think it was yeah. Like, it would that's, have happened that's not anywhere, yeah. 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 No. But it was just
1: so yeah, it was w- difficult. What was your issue specifically? If I would say like what, what would have you like to see that you haven't? It's not a football country. Not a football country.
0: So I come to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. No, it's a football country. Okay, Because good. of what I saw in yeah. in in '94 and what I heard from your fans. I mean, I'm glad my hotel wasn't near the souk in the uh, in in Doha because I don't think anyone got any sleep. Your fans were absolutely brilliant okay um you've been in Jedi, you said 12, well 48 hours not long enough for me
1: to really ask you what you think of it um but it will get we'll get into the infrastructure of the stadiums and all that so far from what you've seen first time in saudi is it yeah yeah uh what you've expected um outside of the roundabouts uh vibes so far <laughs> How how's i didn't
0: expect there to be so many shopping malls yeah uh, sure. i didn't expect the grid system I was expecting more parks, and apparently there are loads of parks here, but I couldn't find any to run around. So um, I'm I'm training for the London Marathon, and what's been really good is there's been some very long straights in warm weather to run down, Mm -hmm. and then my sprint coming up the Mall for when I finish the London Marathon will have just been honed between trying to cross your roads here, in in one piece. <laughs> so I've had two speeds here, my normal tortoise running speed and then absolute cheetah pace getting through the... Uh... So, yeah, I mean, it's, it is... I need to explore whenever I go to a yeah. country. Um, and this is, I think, it's one of the reasons I want to come. I've never been here before and you want to explore. And also, I think, you know, first rule of American journalism school, if you don't go, you don't know. Yeah. And I think it's very easy to form an opinion, and it's important. So like when I went to Ukraine, I could write more intelligently and more insightfully, mm-hmm. uh, having been to a country. I, th- I think that is important. So interesting coming here. Um, You're well-traveled. How many countries have you been to? Well, only 88, and there are... Only 88. Well, we, I, we then have a debate in my household whether we should count FIFA countries or whether we should count United Nations countries, because there's a slight... Oh, there's, there's a, a discrepancy. Slight, there is a discrepancy there. Yeah, uh, some of which are political, some of which are territories. So I always go on FIFA. Isn't that um, half the countries though? Eighty-eight. Isn't there hundred? Yeah, it's, it's it's about two hundred and ten. Two ten. Okay. I'm uh, going on FIFA rankings here. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's important to to go. To, and I always tell my kids two new countries every year. You know, they're in their twenties. I say just go because you have to explore. I mean, I was sent to school. in, not sent, but I went to school. in briefly, in, in Paris and in, in Munich growing up. And I think that gives you just a little taste mm-hmm. of life doesn't simply revolve around a few streets in central London. 195 by FIFA. So, oh, right? uh, a list of 195, the total number of
1: 195 countries in the world, 193 <coughs> are UN member states, while two are non-member. Well, I mean, through wars and all that, like now you have South Sudan and sure. Sudan and, and
0: Well, also, I mean, go back, go back to the Union in, in Great Britain. Great Britain, yeah. Northern Ireland, one country, but actually I it's why I'm not a huge fan of the Olympics, because I just view it as England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, huge, huge footballing rivals. So different countries. interesting point, Henry, very interesting point. Why is it the UK and the Olympics
1: and do they still do the Commonwealth Games?
0: Commonwealth just yes. still
1: on? Yeah. I remember from back in my days it's still.
0: Well, come on. It's you know you know us English. God Yeah, we uh, we're, we're, we're still fly the flag. We're still and flying we're the flag flag for the Empire. We still salute.
1: 30 countries in the commonwealth wow probably games, test your knowledge general knowledge Commonwealth games number this is why it's important like mo why do you have a laptop in front of you for these reasons um I mean, you I have think, I feel, yeah. 72 nations
0: 72 nations in the commonwealth
1: I sorry scratch that Wow, the Commonwealth works. comprises 56 countries still across 56 inhabited continents. Uh, the number of, of a combined population of 2.4 billion people.
0: Right, but I think there's still one or two sort of rocks in the Pacific which we've claimed, perhaps, probably for oil and fishing reasons. But I don't think they really compete much at table tennis at the Commonwealth Games. Correct. Yeah, including the Falklands. The couple of yeah, well, the Falklands no, That was a uh, that was a legitimate. It's an interesting exercise.
1: rivalry, Argentina, England. They 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 they're not very fond of each well,
0: other. But actually, it, it's a, in a it's a strange relationship. Uh, in fact, there's huge respect there as well. There is, okay, good. You know, I mean, when Maradona came to England, I mean, it was like Beatlemania. I mean, he was huge. I mean, that's a good thing about the English people. It's coming back to sort of one of our central themes of our discussion: a lot of tolerance. You know, Maradona. You know, England the home of fair play. We think we invented it. Um, we're bound by it. Um, we did invent football. We did invent football. We codified it at the school I went to, was very heavily involved in that. Um, but I've seen England players dive in, in tournaments. Mm. I've also seen, obviously, Ma- Maradona's infamous hand of God. Mm. And yet, the English people, because we are fairly compassionate and broad-minded and football-obsessed, we will celebrate you know, the second goal, as well as Bermond, the first. Um, yeah, so the relationship with Argentina, again, coming back to political leaders versus good people, you know. I don't think your average English person has got an issue with your average Argentinian person. No. Remember when Top Gear did that episode? <laughs> oh, yeah, but that I, that was a little bit provocative because they had the number plate It was like Falklands 1 or something, and you're thinking, come on, I should have a bit of respect.
1: The number Peter all the year of the... Yeah, 82. If anyone's going to do it, it's Clarkson. He cracks me. <laughs> yeah. Can I get you another water?
0: Yeah. One more on the top. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. We'll get you included. Thank Thank you. One thing, not one thing, many things. I'm so f- fond of of uh, the game in the UK and how and how how much it's celebrated. And there's nothing like watching a Premier League game where you're two meters away from the touchline. I, I mean, I spend I go to games with a very close friend of mine, and we sit in the Matthew Harding corner at lower, Sanford Bridge, upper or lower, lower. lower, lower. Yeah. So I mean, when someone's Brilliant. taken a corner, you can almost, there's nothing like watching a game. Yeah. In, 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 and Matthew was
0: one of the good guys. Yes. I mean, interviewing him down the years, spending time with him. You know, he's obviously Chelsea's benefactor, yep. for those who don't know. Passed away very sadly. Amazing, amazing man. Truly, truly, and I love that they named that that,
1: that uh, end after him. Um, but I, I, I have to give credit where it's due. Um, I've never, and I've been to maybe 100 Premier League matches all the way, maybe not even Premier League. Like I remember watching England in the old Wembley with the pillar in view yeah, yeah. Uh, seats. Uh, I remember Poland three 0 in in ninety five, ninety six. I wish I went to the Saudi game in ninety eight. Uh, the build up to yeah. France ninety eight, where where it finished nil nil. Yeah. And and some might say Saudi Argentina was the best. But if you think, if 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 I was to really think about it, I think England Saudi was was the best performance for us ever. Because we had two exceptional halves. First half against Argentina, we, you know. But that was a competitive game. True, but that matters. If you go back and you see who played for England in that game, and it was the last, maybe one or two last games before the, it it was Beckham, it was Sheringham, it was Ince, it was Gaza. Yeah. It was Owen Campbell. probably Owen Superman. as well yeah, yeah. Owen was on the
0: bench i think big,
1: yeah but yeah it was huge big boys the neville brothers yeah um and and uh, yeah even ince was in it and saudi had their last hurrah of of yeah. of legends as well yeah. or iran you mentioned him Samuel Jaber, and all these people and daia who was the reason why i became a goalkeeper right 200 international caps um my point in all of that rant is i've never felt any racism from uh, Chelsea fan when Charlton Wright Phillips would do something wrong you wouldn't hear anything no. when SCN would do something you wouldn't hear anything when Meluda, you wouldn't hear anything
0: you, 30 you know, years what, ago you would have done probably thir- 30 years yes yeah, of course that's, I mean Chelsea had a famous player who you know Paul Canaville, who was racially abused for my time yeah. yeah but I mean it was that was like 80s Yeah, I
1: back. saw do you see that movie Cass the West Ham supporter West Ham yeah, yeah, that, yeah. excellent movie yeah. actually that told me a lot of what things were like it wasn't just Crowd violence and hooliganism, but it was a lot of yeah. ra- racial as well, wasn't it, in the sixties yeah. and seventies? Yeah. Um, so, so what I am saying is that England are exemplary, honestly, when it comes to you know treating uh, players uh, objectively and, and 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 not showing any signs of racism, irrespective of what a player of dark skin would do. But you go to Italy and and I think they're still throwing bananas at black players in, in, during corners, which is which you know you really think that. That shouldn't be the case today, but but it is. It shouldn't have ever been the case. E- e- ever been the case. You're right. I- I- I'll Let me fix that. But even so, m- more now, Henry, like during an age where, you know, there's social media education is probably better than ever. Like you should have learned from how things didn't work in the days of your ancestors and learn from it. Like we should be, we should always be better year on year. Yeah. And, 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 and England is because it was a problem in the 70s. It isn't a problem now. Italy is kind of the same way they were in the 70s. They really have Balotelli struggled a lot yeah. in in Italy with that. Yeah, and it's something s- uh, close to my house. Sorry for h- house, sorry so, something close to my chest and my heart. And sorry for hijacking the conversation, but I just wanted to.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and it's good that you get it out there, and it's important that you make that point on a regular basis. And you, but the key word is education. education. So punishment. I mean, I've been to. I mean, UEFA are so weak on those things, and FIFA have been weak. The actual punishing of countries who've racially abused uh, England's black players, because obviously that's my sort of area of experience. Uh, obviously, there are issues in Italy and Spain, so domestic issues. But I don't know. Spain has it. Like Spain, Italy. Spain had it. Yeah, and I can remember an Arsenal game um, at Valencia, and there's a sort of what's called the mix zone system where the players walk through afterwards, and they often don't want to talk to the to the press, particularly if they've they've lost. Patrick Vieira stopped us. This was when the Arsenal invincible side was playing over there. And Such they a good team. The the, the Mestaya, there was a knot I mean Mestaya's an am- Valencia's an amazing city, Hemingway. I mean, it's just it's got it's got so much going for it. Uh, but in Mestaya there was a nasty racist knot in the corner who was who were racially abusing, Patrick Vieira in particular, and he stopped us uh, and and said, You've got to write about this. We've written about this already, we've already complained to you, Wafer, we've talked to Arsenal, we've talked to Valencia. And in the end, Patrick Viero ended up getting fined for his criticism of UEFA. Oh. And we were thinking, well, I'll say, where's the, where's the balance here? You've got a black player, black person being racially abused, and he's the one ended up getting fined. So, you know, wherever you are and whatever you do in life, it's always good to open your eyes and, and imagine yourself walking in someone else's shoes. And I'm a, you know, white guy from a sort of fairly privileged background in, in the UK and just to see what Patrick went through, to see what Marcus and Bukayo and Jaden went through, two of whom I have huge respect for. Jaden Sancho, particularly with things at Manchester United, um, you know, I think he's he's slightly sort of he's not shown the respect to his career, and to his profession, as he could have done. But what happened to him that night at Wembley was a, an utter disgrace and an embarrassment on our country. And even though some people said, well. Social media, it's a global thing. A lot of the abuse was was coming from, uh, f- from English sources. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, you have to clamp down on racism um, wherever it is. But coming back to your central point, education is key. You have to talk to people. You know, I talk to, you know, players about Black History Month. And I mean, why should it just be a month? You know, I mean, the education at school should actually be about, but should be more global. I and, and I don't know whether what the situation is in Saudi, but I imagine you're taught Saudi history. In England, you're taught English history. And unfortunately, because I was sent to school, you know, I, I had a view of the world through franchise a view of the world through Germanize, although I did it in Munich. I got the one bad team in Bayern Munich's history, seventy nine eighty. It wasn't a great team, which is unfortunate, but I did get to go to the old stadium. Um, just it's important this is the you know the sort of the essence of what we've been talking about today is tolerance and understanding others perspective yeah Um, but also pushing society at home and abroad in the right direction we can have a debate about what the right direction is but i think that direction has to include tolerance and if that's for gay rights for whatever rights workers rights that has to be the direction Essentially, it comes down to people like you and me, the majority of people in a country, Saudi, England, who are good people and wanting to do the right thing. And in England, we are, you know, even people who might be struggling financially will dig deep, they'll find some money for the earthquake victims yeah. in in Turkey. Um, are, we, are women equal here? Are women
1: e- equal here? 10 years ago, they weren't. Five years ago, they weren't. Women five years ago uh, wouldn't be able to drive a car, wouldn't be able to own a business, wouldn't be able to travel within Saudi to stay in a hotel, wouldn't be able to own a business. And today, not just the fact that we have our Saudi ambassador to the US who's a woman, my sister owns a business and can drive a car to her place of business and operate in with as, just as much flexibility as I have. So to answer your question, they are more equal than ever. Good. Um... And I don't think there there is this claim that Saudi women are so unhappy here, and I and I encourage those who think that Saudi women are unhappy here and suppressed, go talk to one. Yeah. Ask her how she feels. I'll wait. You know, it's not the case anymore. You know, you you guys are, uh, you know, you you can't you know run a FIFA Club World Cup or you can't do a but.
0: But yeah, you know, we probably I couldn't I think fight. anyone would question whether you can run events because you've got the money but and you can bring in the expertise and there's expertise here. I don't think you've got the West sort of patronizing that.
1: But for those who don't know what's been happening here in the last five years, they'd go by right. our reputation. But, and that's why Prince Abdelaziz, Minister of Sport, he was actually on a conversation yeah. with a with Western journalist recently and he asked him about sports washing and he asked him about capabilities and Prince Abdelaziz was like, honestly, we are, because we, we know how capable we are, we want to compete with hosting events yeah. on the world stage. But it's it's about it's socioeconomic more than more than anything, but but obviously we'll never get credited for that. We're gonna be labelled as oh you're doing that because you want to get the attention of XYZ. But you're
0: doing it because you want to change the image of your country. How about doing it for giving events of prominence access to our people? Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that in terms of uh events being shared around Mm -hmm. but i think your point is you want them on merit why wouldn't it have been off merit because we just had qatar but we're not qatar no but in terms of rotating it around the world but it's two world cups away yeah but it's the The world's a big place you told me how many fifa countries there are true of which maybe 30 possibly can host it and obviously we had a bit of joint hosting so regionally Australia will be putting their hands up and going, oh, just because Infantino's suddenly found a new love for Saudi.
1: I'm taking my son to a match in Riyadh on Friday. When would I have ever have traveled domestically to watch a football match? My son loves Ronaldo. We're getting on a flight Friday morning to go watch him play Steven Gerrard's team. But that's, that's socioeconomic, that's creating local interest, that's creating foreign interest as well for people who want to come in. So... I reject the sports washing, and I and I do believe the economical gains gained from getting these household names into the
0: country for business related reasons. Well, the economic gains have been gloriously felt by the Premier League clubs who have to juggle FFP, financial fair play, and the fact that the Saudis have come along with bagfuls of cash has been fantastic. What you need to do is, to, without being on the uh, the Western media high horse develop more of your own because you've got some good young players here grassroots and yeah, absolutely grassroots and you're a very young country as well aren't you i mean it's a, a remarkable statistics 100 thing. years old in 2030 yeah but also I mean, and the age of your population you know you should you sh- should be a football powerhouse do you know what it is it's 50 under 25 it's unbelievable i mean whenever that statistic came around so your pr is doing well because i didn't know that statistic until some of your government ministers started uh, mm, yeah. telling us in the west so I mean it's, it's fantastic but this comes back to my central point everyone should have a shot at this tournament mm. but I just think coming so soon after Qatar coming back to this region it Is an issue 12 years absolutely and it is I completely accept your football country I've covered you I know that I've heard your fans in, in the souks that your performances at the World Cup you are a good football country which Qatar wasn't but I do have a slight issue in how it was the World Cup was claimed. And that story will run and run until 2034. So would you reject
1: if I made comparisons as to how Europe hosted it eight years apart?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've absolutely. And I I mean, I campaigned at the time. I said it should absolutely go around the world. So I celebrated Japan, Korea. I was pushing for uh, uh, Australia. I was pushing for um, Argentina and Uruguay. It would be fantastic if the. I mean,. FIFA has is their wisdom have, uh, have have pulled a political stunt and there are going to be games in Argentina and Uruguay in 2030 because it's the 100th anniversary of Montevideo and all that but uh, you, in... why couldn't you have had the tournament there and then people say well they haven't got the stadiums Uruguay and Argentina and Chile if that's involved them are massive football countries Incredible, yeah. and surely a government you know the Saudis will do for 2030 will build the stadiums and if you do it intelligently, which unfortunately the Brazilians, you know, I mean, I went to the stadium in Manaus where England played Italy up there in 2014, and you know what's happened to that stadium, you know, so it's got to be done intelligently with environmental and financial concerns in mind and longevity, making sure that you know it goes to good local club and uh, building those stadiums. But uh, but Latin America should have it. Yeah. Latin America, I mean, the two, you know, we're talking hot house areas of the world, Europe and Latin America, and I absolutely, and they are you' the absolute European and Latin American countries, journalists, national associations will say well, we should host the World Cup more. I totally agree with it being passed around the world, but I think let's respect Australia. I can see China bidding for it, and knowing FIFA, they probably want North Korea to bid for it.
1: True, but with China, you're probably facing an issue that Qatar faced, which is the quality of the football. I mean, you can't have a host country get automatic qualifications if you're going to lose all three group matches.
0: Yeah, the, the only thing is the way that FIFA have done it, basically everyone qualifies for the, the World Cup. My local village oh. team will qualify. they are yeah. up to 64 teams. It will be, it's 48, but I mean, it's, 48, it's bonkers. It is, it, is, it is crazy. I don't know if I like that. But... Well, I mean, FIFA talk about uh, players overplaying and uh, environmental issues, and they're going to get millions of people, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people flying all over the States, America, and, sorry, Canada and Mexico. Okay.
1: I want you just to, for a second, buy into how excited the youth are in this country, yeah. and when I say youth, I mean maybe my age 40 and below, for building uh, a better Saudi Arabia than we've ever seen, and, and, get, and having earned Expo 2030 has been so much validation. That wow, we you know we 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 actually have something now. We have a, a, a little a, a little strawberry or cherry to run towards. Yeah. I'm thinking of these hound races where you're running towards this fake bone, uh, although there's nothing fake about uh, Expo 2030. But it was a validation that you know what we see what you're doing and we're going to take a bet on you. So okay, you know France '98 was in Europe and then Germany '2006, eight years apart. I understand Europe is more established as a footballing continent, but giving Saudi World Cup 2034. How about just take a hunch for one second and, and think that maybe these guys will deliver on something exceptional?
0: Oh, I don't think that's in dispute. I think it's the manner in which it was acquired. I think it's the the manner in the fact that it's the World Cup. It should be shared around the world. That other countries, other regions, particularly as you say, you know, um, having had it here in in the Gulf in Qatar, I think absolutely it should be shared. Around. I don't think anyone. I don't think you should have an inferiority complex about questioning. Whether you can do it. I mean, just look around this room. You've got one of the most sophisticated podcasts I've ever been to anywhere in the world. And I do a lot of these Thank things. You. And it is, it's, uh, no, it's fa- it's fantastic. It means a lot coming from you. No, I mean, it is, it is, it's, it's brilliant. And I can see why you're successful. Plus, you have famous people like my brother on. um you very much. Yeah, no, well, I should actually be the warm up act. And then you bring, uh, and then you bring my brother on like a sort of. Hey, if I met you before your brother. <laughs> yeah, we'd have just talked Chelsea. Um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. But so, you have the expertise again. Coming back to respect for individual people in individual countries. I mean, I drive around here, and well, I get driven around here, and so sort of hop yeah, in and out of taxis and survive roundabouts. And you know, you are a, you know, it's, you know, you're you're not a little village in the desert. So don't do yourself down. You know, you have a but you but compete for competitions fairly. Understand when you are hosting events that the people who are coming to the, your country are your guests and might have different ways of doing things. And there has to be a meeting in the middle. This is how we do things. Mm. Respect for the Quran, respect for our, our way of doing things. But also, if you are going to invite people to your house, you have to expect that actually, and you have, you've got this event that belongs to the world, which is now on your doorstep. You've got to open up a little bit. Where do you
1: draw the line of you know, you said that when when uh, people come to your doorstep and attend matches and all that, where do you draw the line between those coming from out respecting the local cultures and the indigenous respecting those who are coming from abroad,
0: their cultures. Meeting it's a, in it's the a middle. Fine line, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line. But the World Cup is about two teams competing, nations competing, nations getting to, to learn. I mean some of the events the some of the parties effectively in Japan. I mean, they were, they were Arab teams, it's brilliant, going into this bar on the eighth floor of one of those sort of strange Tokyo tower blocks you go into and it's all residential and you come out on the eighth floor and there's a wild party going on, there's a bar in there. And there was a, I'm sure it was Saudi Arabian fans, it was Saudi Arab, I'm pretty sure it was Saudi Arabian fans, and they were all down one end of the room, 10 Saudi Arabians, all in the beautiful suburbs, uh, uh drinking dark cokes and then 15 Republic of Ireland fans come flying through the door, all drunk, all singing. Um,
1: At least they were all wearing green.
0: But They were all wearing green, absolutely, they were all wearing green, yeah, it was the green green party. And uh, they all had uh, pints of Guinness. And I can just remember, I was sort of of sitting in the middle and eventually they were all together and I just heard one of them go over to the bar and said, that'd be 10 pints of Guinness and 10 dark Pepsis. And (laughs) it was brilliant, and that is what the event is about. And you travel all over and you see the mixing. I mean, Germany 2006 was wonderful because everyone traveled around on the trains. And it was, you would poke your head in one carriage and there would be people from all over the world united by obviously a love of football, but also a love of life and a respect for others. So I do think, maybe I'm being slightly sort of um, over idealistic, but I think there's something very special about the World Cup which shows us how we can live together when the people are just come face to face yeah, yeah i agree
1: the, uh, the you know the most thing that excites me is that if if you know we're so new to the organisation element of it all and we're only 4 years into it what are we going to look like with
0: 13 14 years under our belts that's why brilliant. i'm so bullish of 2034 brilliant um, but don't do yourself down you will be able to host it you could you could see because also fifa come in and it and countries get fifa fired yeah. when when tournaments go on and you will have british broadcasters you'll have american Caterers, you will have obviously your own indigenous yeah. population. Just make sure you've got a really good team. team. Because because I've been to tournaments, and when the host team goes out, it's different cause, with Qatar because nobody really cared about Qatar as a football country. But when the host team does go out, like Japan in 2002, it's like there's a death in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Already this far out, you're far more of a football country, and people know that. People respect that. There's more of a history. Scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, You know,
1: whenever a country hosts a World Cup, you get automatic qualification. And if I'm not mistaken, Qatar was the first time a country qualified by merit of hosting it, which already had a question mark in its own right. We've qualified four times, I think Qatar was our fifth. Question for you, how much longer do you see yourself in this business and industry? You mentioned that you've done it for 36, 37 years. How much longer do you see yourself going for? Has
0: anyone ever asked you that question? Until I get, yeah, regularly, my boss (laughs) get rid of me. I love the competitive element. I love at the end of every week, every Friday evening, I have a sort of like a, a work order in my mind, thinking well, the guy from the Daily Mail did that better, the woman from the Guardian did that better. And I think when you lose that, you know, stop. But, okay. but I mean, it's not a job. I get, you know, I'm here. You know, I'm getting paid to be in in your country to watch football. I travel all around the world. I do what, 130 140 games a year. What a job! It is, yeah. I'd be stacking shelves in a one of your many shopping malls if uh, if if I wasn't uh, if so, I wasn't doing this. So no, it's not a proper job. It's it's great, and you know what's fantastic about it? It gives you a, a clearer, I wouldn't necessarily clear view on actually what people are like. Yeah. Because you go around, you meet people. Travel. You, tra- you travel. Yeah. And that American thing, if you don't go, you don't know. Yeah.
1: A, a lot of the, the, the gurus that I um, listen to, they they have a common denominator on on on, on how to live lives. And, and after meditation, travel seems to be number meditation. two or number three. They're all about meditation. Really? They're, it's huge. Oh, have you ever tried it? Yeah. No, thank you. You don't strike me as someone that would meditate. No. Yeah, you probably just write articles in, in yeah. the corner of the coffee shop. No. But meditation, see, it's 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 like trending and it's in now. But but second on the list okay, is is travel because with travel gives you tolerance yeah. and understanding of people yeah. and realizing that you know not everything is like uh, you know the the British high street where you have everything at your fingertips. Some people actually need to walk a couple of miles to get clean water, for example. Yeah, exactly. we we don't we're fortunate enough to get clean water delivered. But like you go to some places in Africa and you hear stories of people walking two hours a day to get yeah. clean water. Yeah. And, and that's tolerance when you realize how people are So living.
0: some of the African players, when they come to the UK, we have that conversation. Wow. And it's it's very humbling. And when you hear it, and then you get involved with them, and you try to sort of help them with schemes. But I mean, Sadio Mane, I mean, he is, I completely understand if he's made one or two decisions in his life which are financially driven, because mm. he is looking after literally thousands of people back home. Wow, really? Yeah, amazing guy. And you'd be surprised how little each person needs to survive on on an annual. Uh, and how much pressure <coughs> is placed. I'm. Mean, I've talked to African players, so I mean, you know, and English players will be the same, but not not so heavily. But there is a, a demand. They say, you know, my you know distant cousin, my son is going off to university. Can you pay for his fees? Mm. You know, and that puts pressure on a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the players. But again, as you say, it gives you a, a take on it how they work. and does.
1: Thank you so much for your time. No, my pleasure. We could have gone for two more hours easily, but I know you have to be someplace 20 minutes ago. We didn't even touch on Chelsea. We we, we didn't. Let's wrap up with that. Um, does it bother you that Chelsea and Man United are competing on who is having a more horrific season?
0: <laughs> I mean, as a journalist, I quite like changing narratives. And I think that's where sports should be. I mean, if you have owners who don't care or are not intelligent enough in what they do, in the first place the Glazers they didn't care about Manchester United and in Todd Bowley the Americans at, uh, at Chelsea I mean it is quite entertaining and quite instructive and quite reassuring that you've got one or two people coming in from the outside who are brilliant businessmen in their own field and I've, I've, taught, I've met Todd um, and they just make mistake after mistake but they'll get it right you know, and that's the one thing I was—I would was say—to the credit of the Saudis, they've not put a foot wrong in terms of PR, in terms of investment, and in terms of employment. I think we've learned from City. Yeah.
1: With with all their spending, it took fifteen years to win the Champions League.
0: Yeah. Well, if you if Newcastle win the Champions League in fifteen years, you should be happy because it's so competitive. Maybe the target is ten well
1: i mean i mean maybe what about
0: vision 2030 i think you've got to be right
1: aligned with it yeah Uh, but i think you know going back to how we should be getting better with time we have we're in a place of privilege now where we can learn from those who went before us and city spent left i mean we spoke about you know financial fair play
0: and i don't think newcastle or pif wants to go down that road where we're getting and also, they've got a manager who quite likes working and developing players, and in Eddie Howe, you've got a brilliant manager. Correct. The only issue with Newcastle is going to be late next year when Gareth Southgate probably stands down because Eddie Howe will be the number one choice for England. I imagine if the, the arc of the sort of Newcastle's rise, which has slowed slightly but it continues, then he'll obviously want to continue at Newcastle United. Probably swap jobs. Probably Gareth for Newcastle. No. Middlesbrough and he's not good enough. Middlesbrough, okay. Middlesbrough, sorry, Middlesbrough connection for a Middlesbrough player. That's, that's probably less of an issue, but yeah. I, I think that he's not Champions League. Like. Are you surprised that Eddie Howe is still, in, still at Newcastle? Yeah. Or? No, try. Totally. I'm not surprised. No, not surprised yeah. at all. Great, great season last year. S- sensible owners, good manager, yeah. the people they've appointed. Darren Eels came in from Atlanta. I know him, he's a fantastic CEO. Dan Ashworth, the sporting director, fantastic, intelligent people. So I think there's been a lot of respect to the appointment structure and the decisions that uh the saudi owners have made and they love and the fans
1: love i'm, I'm friends with Murda, amanda's husband yeah yeah they yeah, they love guy. his great guy um him and ruben ruben. ruben yeah they, ruben. they they it's like you are the owners that we've been looking for yeah. type of thing and that's that told me a lot about the previous outgoing on yeah um, and they and they love the banter that they have with each other on social media, yeah, and which is good. Fans are happy, you know. Yeah. Obviously, they're not happy with the Champions League exit.
0: Obviously, they're not happy with the penalty. Do you know what? If you actually talk to Newcastle fans, partly because of what they went through under Mike Ashley, but also they're just seeing a team playing with pride. Right. Yeah. They are seeing, you know, they're gone out of the Champions League, but okay, there was a disgraceful decision against them in the PSG game. Um, you know, they've and they've got. Good young players, they like it, and what they're also liking, and maybe it's a sort of very British thing, is they've got s- some of their own, i.e., homegrown yeah. players, and they love that coming through, kids coming through. So it's not all about superstars. So from Newcastle, not England, you mean? Yeah, yeah, so specifically yeah, for, from, from the yeah. area. Yeah, from the area. Yeah, Trippy area, isn't he? Tri- no, Trippy is Tri- no, Trippierism, not. Trippy is sort of Manchester, Manchester borders, but I mean he could be because he's just he embodies the area in terms of his work ethic. But you know, you've got you know. Miley. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a kid from a, a local ex colliery town. Um, so yeah, Dan Byrne who was working, you know, pushing supermarket trolleys around a car park and because mm. his career wasn't going anywhere. Now he's come back and he's doing well. And they love that. They love that sort of narrative. Again, it comes back to people. It comes back to emotional connection and ultimately it comes back to respect.
1: It's very genuine when it's a one-club city.
0: Totally, it's a good point. I mean, one-club city is like Leeds. You know, Leeds. You wow. that was another
1: good story, by the way. Up there with Blackburn and Leicester, Leeds had a good run.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah, that that run. There's some good players. Jonathan Woodgate, Smith, players like that in the team. Um, Elland Road. There, that was a. Stadium. Elland Road is mad. I mean, that is just such an intense stadium.
1: Uh, that would be one to be purchased for any other states looking to. I don't know if you can anymore, but that's one.
0: Well, the 49ers thing. have 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 bought them. San Francisco Forty Niners yeah, yeah. bought Leeds United. Yeah yeah I mean they had a percentage of it and they've gradually been increasing and I, I went to a game at Leicester the other night I wasn't working and I just I was in the sort of director's box and I saw the 49ers owners and it's quite interesting where you've got an opportunity just to sort of see someone's body language see their connection with the game and people and staff they're embedded I was really wow. impressed with them so that's what leads need they they need owners with deep pockets but also owners who care and are in it for the long haul are they in the third division now? no no they're, uh, they're second tier or don't, don't relegate so them championship? another division yeah championship don't relegate them another division god they've got enough issues god I just haven't heard from them in a long time oh that's such a Chelsea perspective I'm Chelsea so sorry. Che- <laughs> I'm sorry that is you are Chelsea like, I know I know Derby is still in the
1: championship and hasn't yeah. got down I know Reading which is a, a city you know a, a club close to my heart yeah. as well um, and I wish they'd go back to Premier League By but the I didn't way, know
0: they, if, if you've got any wealthy friends they are Reading, yeah desperate, desperate desperate huh I mean really desperate wow. they've been they've been demonstrating outside the houses of parliament wow they had a good run in the
1: premier league that's english football for you it's thank you Ryan, so uh, much for
0: this we could have gone many you. many hours i really
1: appreciate it no, I really next it. time you come hopefully before world cup 2034 we can get on a podcast Definitely. And, and continue Definitely. this.
0: You have to have my sister Great. on that because she is the. We'll build up my, trifecta. Now yeah, I get it. Yeah, absolutely, and <laughs> she'll go straight in at number one because she's really
1: interesting. And the way you spoke about it, you said she's the most impressive one. So now she's, um, she's going to be on my uh, scouting list. She absolutely sure yeah. for yeah. sure. Thanks for the banter. Thank you for putting up with the, uh, you know, my 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 pushiness. I guess there was yeah, so thanks much.
0: Thanks for inviting me on because I, mean, it's, you know, pleasure. it's it's. It's very impressive. Yeah. Won't don't leave this room because this is special. I'll it's keep got it. good vibes.
1: I'll keep it. Thanks for entertaining me and answering any every question. Yeah. Um, I watch so much uh, Western press that maybe I just took a bit too much out on you, but you're such a professional. You are, um, th- the way you, you know, tackled every question and decided to, you know, convince me on some and maybe me convincing you on others, just I'm hoping would have made this some very watchable content for our viewers. I think it, as a
0: go, it's probably a score draw. I'll take and that. And we didn't have VAR. Against you? I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. With or without VAR. Yeah, but this is the first leg. You've got to come back to London <laughs> now. To, oh shit. <laughs> I'm
1: injured. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Henry, so much. My pleasure. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Enjoy that. Me too.